0: Cindy didn't realize that her life was about to be forever altered as she traveled to the airport in the early morning hours of June 5th, 2001. A single mother of three, a delighted new grandmother, all that was on her mind was her well-earned vacation until suddenly a gallon container of sulfuric acid was tossed from the overpass by an unknown assailant and came crashing through the windshield spraying her with glass and flesh-eating liquor. In a heartbeat, she was crying in agony for the pain. She was burned almost beyond recognition. Initially, it was thought that this random act of violence would take Cindy's life. Not only was the acid sprayed across her face and all of her skin, But she had inhaled the acid deep into her lungs. She was in imminent danger. But miraculously, she survived. Yet after weeks of intensive care and months of agonizingly painful surgeries, Cindy's physical health was stabilized. Yet her emotional health was continually being attacked. Realizing that her assailant would never be caught Cindy had to come to terms with reality every day she looked at her face in the mirror realizing she would never have the answer to her why questions she understood that forgiveness was the first step toward her emotional healing so she made a decision to release the anger and the hatred that she had held in her heart Could there be someone that you need to forgive today? It might be as trivial as someone who cut you off on the highway. It might be something as life altering as someone who abused you. Can you forgive them? Will you forgive them? Jesus did. He was beaten, he was abused. He was hung on a cross that he did not deserve. Yet hanging on that cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing.
1: You'll find your place in your Bible with me at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. And I'm going to read, as I've been doing over these last uh, four weeks, today the fifth week, uh, from verse 3 down through verse 12. I know that many of you are working to memorize the Beatitudes. I hope that you're doing well with that and that you're making progress in that respect. Beginning in verse 3 of chapter 5 of the Gospel of Matthew. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And where we are today, verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before them. Today we come to a turning point in the Beatitudes in this series of messages. The first four Beatitudes, if you will, were more inward in their perspective. Being poor in spirit, meaning that we acknowledge that we need God and we need God's help. Mourning over our sin and over the effects of our sin, being meek. Bringing our strength under God's control or hungering and thirsting for righteousness, the righteousness of God and thus for God himself. All of these are more inward in their focus, but today we're going to turn and we're going to be looking at the outward focus as we consider these last four of the Beatitudes in these coming weeks and we're going to get a glimpse of the heart of Christ for people And we want to see that heart, don't we? We want to see the Lord's heart for other people. These first four Beatitudes, in one way or another, concern our dependence on God. But the coming four Beatitudes focus more on the outworking of our dependence on God. When we're depending on the Lord, this is how the Lord helps us. This is how we respond as a result of that. So let me take just one more moment as we begin today and let me remind you once more that to be blessed as we find it these eight times in the beatitude, actually nine counting verse 11, but as you find it here in the beatitudes means to have a position to receive or to be in a position to receive the goodness of God flowing into our lives, his goodness flowing into our lives. It means that we're walking in the favor of God and living with his approval. Uh, Being blessed brings with it contentment and fulfillment and satisfaction. It brings to us a life where these kinds of things are found and they are provided by God. You are the recipient of these things coming from God. And he wants every one of his children to live the blessed life. So the question before us this morning as we think about this beatitude in verse 7, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. What does it mean to be merciful? What does it mean to show mercy? Got to remember something as you think about our message today, (laughs) this lesson today. Mercy was not a virtue that was valued in the Roman world. Actually, mercy was viewed more as a weakness if you showed mercy, you were a weak person. They valued things like wisdom and justice and temperance and courage. But there were very few people who ever expressed a desire for this kind of mercy that Jesus Christ is talking about in this text. The root word for mercy, it's found 79 times in the New Testament. So you automatically know this is a very important truth. It's a very important concept. This Greek word for mercy is closely related to an Old Testament Hebrew word. It's the word that's often translated in our Bibles as loving kindness. But it's the idea of someone that can get inside another person in such a way that they can see things through his or her eyes. They can think things through his or her mind and they can feel things through his or her feelings. A a word that we often associate with the idea of mercy is the word sympathy. And we sort of use that word in a very light way. We want it to communicate that we're being merciful, but oftentimes it doesn't communicate that fully. And the word sympathy itself is taken from two Greek words, uh, sim and patheo, one meaning uh, to Uh, to be together with in the other meaning to experience or to suffer so that we are together with them experiencing and suffering as they are experiencing and suffering. In other words, when we sympathize with someone, it means we experience things together with them so that that we can go through what they are going through at least to some degree. Now, it's not possible for us to go through everything somebody else is going through when they're suffering or going through difficulty or hardship in life, but we, we try our very best to get into their shoes, if you will, and to try to understand and see and feel and be able to reason as they are in their moments of difficulty. Jesus' instruction about mercy implies more than just an inward sentiment or feelings. True mercy inevitably leads to actions that work to help another person in some way. A lot of times we have empathy. A lot of times we have feelings, oh, I feel sorry for that person. But mercy goes beyond just the emotions and just the feelings that we have. And mercy reaches out to do something to help that person in the difficulty of their lives. As we're going to see in this message today, mercy embraces both compassion for the suffering and needy as well as forgiveness for the guilty. So if we're putting all of these thoughts together and we're combining them into one sentence, to be merciful is to help relieve the suffering of others, to comfort those who are afflicted, and to forgive the guilty. For those of you that are writing, mercy is to help relieve the suffering of others, to comfort those who are afflicted, and to forgive the guilty. Please understand that mercy is better than pity. Because while pity may acknowledge someone's need or pain, it it doesn't necessarily move a person to do something about it. Oh, I pity that individual. But It doesn't necessarily move someone to go do something about that person, what they're experiencing. Actually, pity oftentimes seeks to create distance between you and the person in need. We say, oh, I pity that individual, but in the process, we're we're moving away from them to get as far away as we possibly can. However, mercy inevitably draws you closer to the person in need. Mercy is not just a surge of emotion, but intentional actions of kindness toward others. Not only is mercy better than pity, mercy is better than compassion alone as well. Compassion involves both feelings and actions, but compassion is a response to people's needs that's expected because we have compassion on someone, we're expected to respond. Mercy, on the other hand, is a response to people's needs that is unexpected. Because either the person showing mercy is under no obligation to show it, or because the person's suffering was somehow deserved. Compassion may look at someone, and compassion may move towards someone, and that's a wonderful thing. But that's expected when you feel compassion. When you're showing mercy, it's what's unexpected. You're doing what is completely and totally unexpected. Some of you may remember the name Chuck Colson uh, back in the Watergate days. But before Chuck Colson passed away, in one of his radio spots, he told the story of a, an Iraqi soldier uh, who was in a triage facility and they were doing uh, these Iraqi soldiers who were uh, who were uh, doctors uh, were doing their very best to save the lives of two Iraqi uh, insurgents the problem was is that both of them were in critical condition and one of them specifically needed several pints of blood and there was no blood available so the call went out to these American soldiers who were there That if anyone would like to donate blood, to come and to donate blood to this this man who was going to die if he didn't get it, this Iraqi insurgent that was going to die if he didn't get it. And there were dozens of American soldiers that showed up to give their blood. At the head of the line was a battle-hardened soldier named Brian. And when the reporter asked if it mattered to him that he was giving his blood to an enemy soldier, Brian replied, a human life is a human life. That's mercy, my friends. It's an unexpected kindness toward a person in need. It's greater than compassion. It's more than pity. It's doing something that's completely unexpected But because you've tried to get into the circumstances where they are and feel and see and understand what they're going through. You are moved to do something, though they're not expecting you, to do anything. If we were to put it in a short sentence, it would be like this, love in action. Mercy is love in action. I came across one particular definition of mercy that I especially liked. I don't know the author, so I can't give credit to the author, but uh, he or she, when I read it, will know I'm giving, giving credit, right, to the author. This is what Uh, The definition is, mercy is getting down on your hands and knees and doing what you can to restore dignity to someone whose life has been broken by sin. I like that definition. Mercy is getting down on your hands and knees and doing what you can to restore dignity to someone whose life has been broken by sin. I think you'll agree with me that mercy is a rare commodity these days i mean almost every day of our lives if not every moment of our lives our eyes and our ears and our emotions are assaulted by the things that we see and the things that we hear and the way people treat one another if it's not on the radio it's not on the television it's not in social media or in the print media i mean we see it everywhere a lack of mercy that's being shown to others from the baseball field to the bar room to the board room. There's violence and injustice and prejudice and intolerance, and it's everywhere. I'm old enough to remember a time when there was a president who said, we want a kinder, gentler America. Some of you remember those days, a kinder, gentler America. That's what we wanted, but America has become a place filled with hate. We've become a savage America. And all of us should be mourning over that, resp- over that uh, reality. All of us should be mourning over that reality. People have lost almost all sense of empathy and sympathy and compassion and mercy. That is, if we ever had it to begin with. We've lost almost every sense of mercy. Can I just ask a question as I'm continuing in this introduction? Have we forgotten the golden rule? Have we forgotten the golden rule? It was Jesus that said, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. Not whatever you want men to do to you, do first to them as if we're talking about some kind of evil. Do it to them before they can do it to you. It's recognizing that you want someone to give you mercy in the desperate circumstances of your life, and therefore you give that mercy to others. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law in the prophets. The truth is that acts of mercy are so rare these days that when someone performs one, It makes headline news. As a matter of fact, these days, if somebody uh, demonstrates mercy, they're usually looking for a camera, for somebody to take a picture of it so that they can promote themselves. Listen to one story about this kind of mercy it's about a man named Joseph Walker. He was an Air Force veteran who had served in Vietnam, and he died without heirs and without any friends. Nobody to bury his remains. And so the Texas Veterans Committee put out word that this man was all alone and that uh, he was going to be buried all alone. Nobody would be with him. And they put out an appeal, and there were 5,000 Texas veterans that escorted him to the cemetery. The procession stretched for three miles. That's mercy. It's unexpected. It may be undeserved, but it's more than empathy. It's more than pity. It's more than even compassion. It's somebody doing something for someone else, getting into their circumstances and into their situation and saying, I want to try to understand what they're feeling and what they're dealing with so that I can bring to them help and I can be there to minister to them the grace of God. And Think about some stories in the Bible about mercy. Think of the man Joseph in the Old Testament. It's a fascinating story, isn't it? When you talk about the four main patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, you talk about this major patriarch of the Old Testament, and yet, do you remember his story? Uh, He was the favorite of his father, he was hated by his brothers. And so they find him one day, he comes out to his brothers and they take him and they are determined that they're going to kill him. But Reuben stops them and says, no, 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 we're not going to kill our brother. And they put him in a pit, not knowing what to do with him. But then there comes some Ishmaelites coming by and they says, you know what we'll do? We don't want to shed his blood. We'll sell him into slavery. And the Ishmaelites take him down to Egypt and he's sold into slavery. But Joseph is a man of character. He gets invited to work in Potiphar's house, and he works his way up in Potiphar's house to where Potiphar leaves everything to him to take care of except his wife. But his wife makes a play for him. Joseph was a good-looking man, and his wife makes a play for him, tries to seduce him. Joseph leaves his coat in her hand, runs out of the room, refusing to do what was wrong. He knew it was wrong, and she says he tried to rape her. He gets thrown into prison, He spends the next 13 years of his life in prison. But you remember what I said to you about Joseph? He was a man of character. And he showed his character there in that prison. And he rose to power in that prison, authority in that prison. And he is now trusted, given by the prison guards. He's given the responsibility of overseeing all of the workings of that prison. And he tells two men, both who had dreams, the interpretation of their dreams, the butler and the baker. And he says, if you get out, when you get out, I want you to remember me. And both of them forgot him. But then one day, the Pharaoh has a dream. And one of those men who got out remembered Joseph and he said you know what he interpreted my dream he could interpret your dream and joseph is brought out to the pharaoh and he interprets the dream that there's a famine that's coming and we've got to prepare seven years of famine we've got to prepare and store up so that nobody goes hungry and pharaoh says you know what you're a man of character i'm going to put you in charge of all of this and you're going to gather all of the grain and all the necessities to be able to save the people alive And it's exactly what Joseph does. Uh, Joseph, over these next years, does those very things. Those next uh, several years, does does that very thing. He gathers what is needed. And finally, the famine arrives. They're about a year or two into the famine, and his family that's still living in Canaan doesn't have food. And guess where they come? They come down to Egypt. Joseph is now second in command to the Pharaoh. His brothers come down to buy food, and there's an interaction. I can't take you through all that interaction, but Joseph is testing his brothers. He sees them. He them, recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. It's been a little more than two decades since they've seen him, and besides that, he's an Egyptian garb. I mean, he probably looks more like an Egyptian at this moment, but his brothers are recognized by Joseph. He knows who they are, and there's a little interaction that goes back and forth as you have read as you've read the New Testament, or excuse me, the Old Testament in Genesis 36 and 7. And ultimately, the brothers come back one last time and Joseph can't take it anymore. He breaks down in tears. He's crying. He goes into another room because you weren't supposed to be seen crying like this if you were a powerful Egyptian, a powerful Egyptian in authority. But then he calls the brothers in and they sit down together and he reveals, I am your brother Joseph who sold you, who you sold into slavery. I am your brother. And the brothers are now scared to death. They're absolutely frightened to death. Think about it for a moment. What's he going to do to us? Is, is he going to destroy us? I mean, he now has the power. He can do to us what we were talking about doing to him. And they beg him for mercy. You remember what Joseph says? He could have said, Take them out and execute them. But instead, what he says is, You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That's mercy when you have it in the power of your hand to do something in reverse to someone who has done it to you, but instead of reacting in that fashion, you show them mercy. Or think about Stephen in the New Testament. Stephen was one of the original deacons of the New Testament church. They weren't called that at that moment, but he was one of those seven men that was chosen to serve the widows who were being neglected and take care to make sure they got the food that was being distributed. But Stephen was also a mighty preacher of the Word of God. And in Acts chapter 7, he preaches this powerful, powerful sermon. And the conviction takes, uh, takes root in the hearts of those who are hearing. And they don't like what they've heard. And they've decided, we're going to destroy Stephen. And they take him outside and they began pelting him with stones. You remember, they laid down their coats at the feet of what, what man? Saul, who became Paul. They lay down their garments at the feet of Saul while they're pelting him with these rocks. And you know what Stephen says as he's breathing his last breath? He says, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. That's mercy. Or maybe the quintessential story in the New Testament is the story of the Good Samaritan. You know the story well, don't you? A Jewish man's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He gets beaten and robbed by uh, the thieves that are always located along the route that's heading in that direction. And he's left for dead. He's going to die. He's probably bleeding out. He's going to die ultimately. There's two religious men who come by. They look at him, but they pass on by and they do nothing. They probably had pity on him. But that's about all you could say about it. They did nothing for him, but there was a Samaritan. The Jews and the Samaritans had little to nothing to do with one another. And yet this Samaritan went over to where this Jewish man who had been beaten and left for dead, he looked at him and saw the desperate circumstances that he was in. And he felt more than just pity. He did something to help this man. He pours in the oil and the wine that's like a disinfectant to try to help him in these moments while he's there on the side of the road he dresses his wounds he places him on his on his donkey you realize that the samaritan had been riding the donkey now this jewish man is riding the donkey probably laying on the back of the donkey He takes him to to a place where he can get help, and then he financially provides for him so that the help is there, and he says, if there's more needed, when I come back, I'll pay you then. That, my friends, is mercy. That, my friends, is mercy. I read about a college, Christian college professor who arranged a drama to see how his students would react. They were getting ready to study Luke 10, and that's, of course, the chapter where you find the story of the Good Samaritan. And as the class was beginning on that particular day, a grad assistant walked to the front of the room and announced that there was a change in the class location for the day. They'd have five minutes to walk across the campus to the new classroom. Well, as the students were leaving, they had to pass a man who was lying on the school lawn. It was obvious that he needed some kind of help, a few of the students ran past him because, you know, those students, they don't want to be late for class. There were others that stopped for a moment and looked at him, but they just kept moving along. They weren't in a big hurry and not too overly worried about this man, and they passed him by. There were even a few students that looked at him and then went over and got a Coke, bought a Coke out of the machine, and then went on down to the class. There were only three students from the class that stopped to lend the man the help that he needed. Only three out of that college class. When their class finally reconvened in the new classroom, the professor walked into the room and read the story of the Good Samaritan from Luke chapter 10, and then he asked the class the question, Who was neighbor to the man you saw on the school lawn? Who was neighbor to the man you saw on the school lawn? Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. By the way, to obtain mercy is passive. They're not doing something to attain mercy. Because they show mercy, they receive mercy in return. And of course, the ultimate, ultimate example of mercy is Jesus himself. I mean, there is no more perfect example of mercy than Jesus Christ He was the most merciful human being who ever lived. He reached out to heal the sick. He restored the crippled. He gave sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. He raised the dead. He found prostitutes and tax collectors, the outcasts, the sinners, and he drew them into his circle of love. He forgave them and healed them and helped them to change their lives. He wept with those who wept and gave companionship to the, love, to, the, to the lonely. He took little children into his arms and blessed them. He was merciful to everyone. Then he made the ultimate sacrifice of his own life so that he might save you and me save us from our sins, that we're going to damn our souls to an eternal hell. Not only is that grace, that's mercy. And Jesus is the example of mercy. Are you beginning to understand what he means here in this beatitude when he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy? Are you beginning to get a clearer picture, whether through Joseph or through Stephen or the Good Samaritan or whether it's through Jesus himself, are you beginning to see it? One author writes, in Jesus Christ, in the most literal sense, God got inside the skin of human beings. He came as a man. He came seeing things with human eyes, feeling things with human feelings, thinking things with human minds. God knows what life is like because God came right inside our lives, right inside human life. Aren't you thankful? I don't know if you've heard it this way. This is not mine. It's you know, sort of uh, been out there a long time, but mercy is God withholding from us what we rightly deserve. In grace is God giving to us what we do not rightfully deserve. And we needed both of those things. And in Jesus Christ, we find both mercy and we find grace. And that's how he expects for us to live out our lives, demonstrating mercy for others. I heard about a preacher who was preaching about the need for every Christian to be merciful and compassionate. He said, one day I was walking down one of the streets in town, and I looked over and saw a derelict lying on a doorway of an abandoned building. Old newspapers were blowing up around his body as he laid there. The preacher continued. All up and down that busy street, there were people walking, well dressed, going about their business, paying the derelict no attention. Then he lifted his voice for emphasis and he said, Nobody was stopping to help the man. Nobody did anything for him but to look at him and pass him by. A little bit later, the preacher concluded his story, and he said, After my wife and I had gone to dinner and come back down that same street, the man was still lying there, and nobody had done anything for him. Are you thinking? Isn't it amazing how we always think that the other person ought to do something? I mean, the preacher may have had pity on the man. Maybe he was even emotionally moved by the man. But what he lacked in that moment at least was what? He lacked mercy. He lacked mercy. Aren't you thankful that Jesus left the glory and the grandeur and the beauty and the majesty of heaven... And he came to us in this world, robed in in flesh like ours, yet without sin, and lived amongst us and came to show us mercy, knowing and understanding what we go through in this life. Isn't that what Hebrews 4 talks about? We can come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. And why? Because we have not a high priest who cannot sympathize. With our weaknesses. We have a high priest who can sympathize. Amen? Amen. His name's Jesus. He came in our midst and he, he demonstrated to us mercy. And that's what Jesus is talking about in this Beatitude. We've got a lot of people that are hard and a lot of people that are harsh, a lot of meanness, a lot of cursing, a lot of intolerance. In many different directions. I mean a lot of meanness, but very little mercy. When it comes to this matter of mercy, we need mercy when dealing with difficult people, don't we? I want to read to you if I can. From first Thessalonians chapter five, verse fourteen. You don't need to turn there, but listen. He says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint hearted, uphold the weak. Now listen, be patient with all. Do you know what it takes to deal with difficult people? It takes mercy. It takes patience and mercy. And have you noticed that the world we live in is filled with a lot of peculiar people? (laughs) Have you noticed that? I mean, people that are crazy and unusual with a lot of unusual idiosyncrasies. Mary and I were Riding somewhere one day and we got onto that subject and I I turned to her and I said honey is it me or are we the only normal people in the world (laughs) and she turned to me and said who said you were normal (laughs) hey there's a lot of difficult people in my life probably a lot of difficult people in your life and do you know how you deal with them You deal with them in mercy. When you see them hurting, when you see them broken, when you see them in need, you don't call down fire on their head. You bring to them something that helps them and blesses them, and you show them, what's the word? You show them mercy. We need mercy with those who have fallen into sin or offended us in some way. I mean, sometimes we're hurt intentionally, and sometimes we're hurt unintentionally. And when people fail us or hurt us, we can either rub the hurt in or we can rub the hurt out. And mercy is the difference between the two. Mercy doesn't hold grudges or harbor resentment or capitalize on others' failures or publicize others' sins. And I understand if you've been hurt very deeply, that isn't something you can do immediately. It takes time for that to be accomplished. But as you let God work in your heart, you're able to show mercy even to those who have hurt you so very deeply. The true character of mercy is in giving kindness and compassion, help, and even forgiveness as the woman we heard about in the video. Thirdly, we need mercy for people who are hurting and are broken or in some kind of trouble. Mercy, remember what I said about it? It's love in action. But basically put, it's practical assistance to someone in need or in trouble. We just reach out to them and we say, look, I'm here to help you. I'm so thankful for our backpack ministry led by Nisha and a group of people that work with her, showing mercy to little children who would otherwise have nothing to eat on Saturday and Sundays if we didn't provide those meals. Or the women who work in the prostitutes' ministry, and they reached out to the prostitutes on the street of our city. First thing they bring them is a sack lunch, and inside is a contact card and some gospel information, but it's mostly a meal to make a contact. And then they build a relationship, and many of them are drug addicts. So the first thing you have to do is help them find a place where they can detox and get off drugs, and then to come back, and they're able to help them to change their lives. Thank God for that. I think of our entire team of people who works with Bill Blankenship, and you visit the nursing homes every week. I don't know if you know this or not, but you will know it when you're there. Some of the loneliest people in the world are in a nursing home. They have nobody that checks on them or cares for them. They've got a nurse that's always there, and no question, I'm not saying the nurses aren't professional, but they aren't family either. They aren't friends either. And we have an entire team of people that every week is out visiting in the nursing homes and letting people know we love them and letting them know we care about them and that they're important in life. Or it may be the little widow that's across the street from where you live. Who's all alone, maybe for the first time in her life, in a long, long time. And you walk across the street with a pie or a cake, and you sit down in her living room, and you say, We're just right across the street. And you make it a purpose in your own mind, in your own heart, I'm gonna reach out to her regularly. Or it could be a widower. Do you understand what I'm saying? We need mercy with those who have fallen into sin or offended us in some way. We need mercy for people who are hurting and are broken or in some kind of trouble. We need to show them love in action, practical assistance. A church a little over a decade ago did a survey in the area where they worked. Mind you, it's a much larger city, much more densely populated city than ours. But they did a survey of those that were 40 years of age and under about their lifestyle because they wanted to know how are we going to minister to them and this is what they discovered one out of every 3 women had had an abortion nearly 2 out of every 6 women had been sexually molested most of the men struggled with pornography most of the singles were sexually active Six out of ten thought that living together before marriage was a good idea, and five out of ten, half of them had already lived with someone. One in seven had abused drugs or alcohol, and nearly two out of five struggled with smoking, and 85% were unchurched. People, our world is a broken place. We don't condone other people's sins, or even our own sins. But unless we reach out to people with mercy, they will never know what it means to be forgiven or to have a life that's changed. They will never know what it is to have the blessed life. And isn't that what we're talking about? The blessed life. The blessed life comes to those that are showing mercy. Number four, we need mercy to communicate the gospel effectively. We need mercy To communicate the gospel effectively do you know that mercy is at the very heart of our own salvation in titus chapter 3 verse 5 talking about the core of the gospel he says not by works of righteousness we're not saved by works of righteousness which we have done but according to his mercy he saved us in exodus chapter 34 verse 6 when god is telling moses about himself He uses his name twice, but the very next word he uses to identify himself is the word merciful. I am the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious. Or how about Lamentations chapter 3 in verse 22, where it says his mercies are new every morning. Or how about Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 4 that remind us that God is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. You understand what I'm telling you? When we show mercy to others, we're living out the gospel so that they'll then be able to hear the message of the gospel when we give it. I want you to go with me one last place and I'll finish. Matthew chapter 18. I can't read the whole story to you. Matthew chapter 18. It's a story of a man, a parable about a man who has servants who work for him. One of those servants owes him an amount of money that is insurmountable. Elon Musk could not pay it off. He owes an insurmountable amount of money. And so the man calls this servant to himself and is going to call in this loan and making pay it or going to put him in prison. And the man begs for mercy. You'll notice it, if you will, verses 25 and 26. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife, children, all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I'll pay you all. Well, the master shows him compassion and gives him mercy and lets him go. That man who was let go has somebody who owes him money. It's a paltry amount of money. It's a a number of days' wages that could eventually be paid off. This insurmountable amount of money could never be paid off. But this paltry amount of money could ultimately be paid off. And this man who's just been shown mercy goes to this other man who owes him and says, give me what you owe me. And the man does exactly the same thing that he had done with his master. He begs for mercy. Please be patient with me. Please be patient with me. And what does the man do? He says, nothing doing. Nothing doing. You're going off to prison until you can pay the entire debt. And that's not a really smart thing to do. If you want somebody to pay you back, you don't put them in prison. There's not much way to make money in prison. Put them in prison. Notice verse 31. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to each of you, if if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Now here's what I want you to see about that story. Are you with me? Everybody with me? I'm almost through. Because he had received mercy, he should be readily willing to give mercy. And you know why? Because he was filled with gratefulness. Thank you, God, for your mercy. Thank you, God, for your mercy. Have you received the mercy of God? Then it's unthinkable for us. It's unthinkable for us that we would not in turn show mercy to others. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Will you say it out loud with me? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy.